as we come to this day of joy, of rejoicing, uh, we have a wonderful truth of God's love for us. We're going to be looking at one of the Psalms of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent in the book of Psalms are a group of songs that we believe were being sung as pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem. Um, this is an interesting psalm that we'll be looking at today because it raises an issue. I don't know how familiar you are with the Hebrew history, uh, but there are some realities of the people of Israel that are sometimes a bit difficult for us to comprehend. We look at things and weigh them out perhaps differently. We know that they were in bondage in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, and it was a sorrowful time for them. It gave birth to the festival of Passover that is still being sur- uh, seen and taken part in centuries, many centuries later. But the bondage in Babylon lasted only 70 years. And in Babylon, the people of Judah who had been taken actually had it better than the Israelites in Egypt, who were slaves building huge monuments. And in Babylon, it was possible for them to prosper and have a degree of, of hope, but it is the bondage of Babylon that seems to zero in the people of Israel's heart on what a horrible situation it was for them, how hard it was for them and how devastated they were. Perhaps, perhaps it is because in Egypt, the people of Israel had not really come to understand what it meant to be a covenant people yet. They were slaves. They knew there was a heritage, but they really didn't know about God. In Babylon, they understood they were the covenant of people of God. Perhaps it was because of the vision of Ezekiel that is recorded in chapter 10, verse 18, where Ezekiel reports he saw the glory of the Lord go out of the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. The people of Israel understood the temple, particularly the Holy of Holies, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God's glory stayed. And Ezekiel sees it leaving departing from the people. We're not really sure. We can't give an absolute definite that this is why Babylon burned its way into their hearts so badly. But the pain of what they experienced in Babylon is actually painfully spoken in Psalm 137. I want to read a portion of that for you so you can get an idea of what the people felt while they were in bondage. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our hearts. For there our captors demanded of us song and our tormentors jubilation, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above 
my chief joy. How can we sing songs of God when we are far removed from Him and He has departed us? Understanding that pain gives us insight into the passage we'll be looking at today. It is like the two I read before, the last two weeks, a song of lament, yet it's different from most of those songs because it has one of the most incredible, powerful understandings that, yes, there are problems, but the help of the Lord is on the way. So please rise as we take a look at Psalm 127. As they have been weeping at the rivers of Babylon, as they have cried out because of their pain, we're now going to see a very different heart. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall harvest with joyful shouting. One who goes here and there weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. When we come to this text, the psalmist pointed to the source of joy that was available to God's people. A joy that was real, a joy that could carry them through. This passage also reveals to us the joy that can be a reality in our lives when we learn to trust the Lord. So today we're going to take a look at the types of joy that God gives us. When God gives us joy, what is it going to look like? Let's take a look. And to begin with, we can know a joy that seems too good to be true. A joy that does feel like a dream. Too, too much. It's not, it's not anything we could have imagined. See, what happens here, the psalmist who penned these words was looking back and would give a song that the people could sing as they were going back up to Jerusalem after being away from the land for so long. The psalmist remembered a time when the Lord's deliverance seemed like a joyful dream. If as many believe, and I tend to follow this path, this psalm very well may have been written in light of the return of the captives from Babylon. Now the truth is, it's broad enough to fit any situation when the people of God have experienced pain. But it does seem to fit the, the context of coming home from Babylon after 70 years. A, a, an event that signaled the restoration from divine, divine judgment to blessing. God had gotten a, a man by the name of Cyrus the Persian, to come and defeat the Babylonians. And this is interesting because within Isaiah, Cyrus is actually referred to as Mashiach. He was the Messiah. He was the deliverer that brought God's blessing back down to Israel. 
and an unexpected change. They have been prisoners, and finally they're being told, you can go home. And the reality is there were, there were droves of different going back home, and some of them chose never to go back. But it was so unexpected, so amazing, that the people felt as though they must be dreaming. This is, this is more than we could have hoped for. This is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been pleading for. And we never thought it would happen. But now we're going home. There's a beautiful text in the book of Acts. It's found in the 12th chapter where Peter has been imprisoned for his faith. And in the middle of the night, an earthquake comes and an angel sets Peter free. And as he's making his way back home, verse 9 says of him, he went out and continued to follow. And yet he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Not a nightmare at all. This is wonderful. It's too good to be true. And yet it was. They had experienced the surprising grace of the Lord that exceeded anything they could have imagined. Paul writes about that kind of event, that kind of working of God in, in lives that love him. In Ephesians 3.20, uh, it was an experience that filled their mouth with their hearts and joy. And Paul says that God is able to do more than we could ever begin to imagine. In Ephesians 3.20. So here's a people who've been cast away from their land, cast away, they believe, from their God, and God shows up and delivers them. And when we look at our lives, joy coming from the hand of God is an amazing thing. I want to read for you uh, Paul's, the complete beautiful benediction that he gave to the Ephesians when he thought about God who exceeds their expectations. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Listen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do so much. We want to glorify him forever because he is our deliverer. He is our source. He is our hope. He is our joy. Augustine of Hippo wrote about a joy that belongs only to those who'd experience the wonderful love and joy that is from God, that is God. Centuries ago, he wrote, there is a joy which is not given to the ungodly, but to those who love thee for thine own sake, whose joy thou thyself art. And this is the happy life to rejoice to thee, of thee, for thee, this it is and there is no other. You are our joy. It's not that God gives them joy. He is joy to them because they have trusted him. They have believed him. They have opened their hearts to him and they will find joy and express it to him, about him, for anyone will hear. Our God is our joy. And when we start looking at what God has done in Christ, we can have a joy that goes way beyond. Natalie mentioned happiness occurring because of your circumstances. Happiness is linked to the idea of happenstance, and it carries the idea exactly that. You're happy when you get a phone call or you get notice that you have just been awarded 
$10 million. You are not happy when the IRS can contacts you for any reason, but when the IRS contacts you and says, okay, you owe us $10,000. Joy comes no matter what. And we can trust that the joy of the Lord is more than a mere dream. Folks, the joy that God can bring into our lives, yes, sometimes it's too good to be true, it seems. But it can come quietly. In the midst of pain, it can come quietly. In the midst of well-being, it can come and infect our lives. And as the psalmist said, our hearts and our mouths were filled with laughter. The joy of the Lord can come. Often when we least expect it. Often when it looks like there is no hope for joy. Because God's joy is real. God's joy is powerful. This week as I've been driving along and I had the uh, radio set to 93.7 because now was a proper time to listen to Christian music, I heard um, an instrumental of the Hallelujah Chorus playing from Handel's Messiah. And I'm, I was, I was sorry that I was driving because tradition, when you hear the Hallelujah Chorus, you stand. And, you know, I can't stand, uh, even if it were in a big car and I'm in a Mitsubishi Mirage, uh, but I was standing up on the outside as I listened to this incredible, the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. It's here and it's real and it's powerful. So we can trust. Because of what Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the Messiah that we have been talking about throughout Advent so far and will continue, the one promised by God has come. And he has brought joy and reality in our lives. We can know that even when it seems too good to be true, the joy of the Lord is real. And then... We can know a joy that testifies to God's blessing. A joy that doesn't only affect us, it can affect others as well. It can have an impact on the world around us. And when you look at the people of Israel, as you look at them, and God has given them the freedom to go home, Cyrus is paying for the trip home. There is going to be money to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. There's just a a shower of blessing flowing out on these people. But notice what he said in the psalm, because it tells us that God's deliverance for his people was witnessed by those outside the covenant. It says, they said among the nations. In other words, the people... Not God's people, not those who are in covenant with God, but those who are on the outside looking in. They said, the Lord has done good things for them. This was the amazing result of deliverance. Daniel Estes has pointed out in Psalm 79.10, those outsiders looking in sarcastically asked when, when the judgment of God was coming on Babylon, where is their God? You're in so much, you're in turmoil, you're in chaos. Where's your God now? How often that has been echoed in this world. That's his point out. Even the pagans, even the pagans around them observed this 
truth, this reality that God had opened the door for them to go back home. When Jerusalem was reduced to rubble, had no acknowledge that God was alive and real, he had, he had departed them, he had left them. But now they can say, he has done great things for us. They're in agreement. Yes, the Lord has. As the world watches on, the ultimate result of God restoring Israel was not the prominence of Israel. It's not, boy, Israel's great. The importance is, Israel's God is great and has delivered them. And it has been echoed by the people of God. He has delivered us. So remember when we were looking at Abraham, I told you that God promised, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the world. There are people out there in the world who see the hand of God moving and say, look what the Lord has done. Folks, we need to understand something here. We really do. When we experience God's joy, it serves as a witness to those around us. When we, the people of God, are actually joyful, My father-in-law used to say, talk about Christians who look like they have been baptized in pickle juice. I know those people. I have seen them. I have known people who in the name of godliness have put upon themselves a dour expression. Uh, we used to, when I was over in the Picayune area on Sunday nights, a group of us would usually wind up at Shoney's after church and another church would come in and the difference between the two groups was as different as night and day. At our table, there was a lot of laughter. And Natalie was talking about her laugh. I've shared with you before. I, got, I had a team member on a mission trip in, to Ukraine get separated from our team. And she found us in JFK Airport when she heard my laugh. That was a little humbling and disconcerting that my laugh could be heard in JFK, but here is a group of people who looked like they were angry at the world, and here was a group of people laughing their heads off. If you ask me, if you would ever ask me which I would choose, it should be obvious to you. The joy that is real to us is often not seen in this world. There's so much sorrow. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. And the sorrow that is in this world is often the companion of sin. It's when people want and take, and not just individuals and nations, when people attack and hurt, when people hate and joy and hope fall apart, when leaders hoard and their people are hungry, all of these things coming about by sin. David Garland said, then that kind of sorrow ultimately leads to despair, bitterness. It causes our souls to drown in self-pity, turns the sorrow into a cankerous sore. Point out there are a whole lot of people who are just like Esau in the Old Testament. Esau was filled with regret after he had sold his birthright to his twin brother. After the blessing had been robbed from him, you cheated me and he was filled with anger and pain. 
Judas was overcome by this kind of sorrow. Having realized all that he had done when he betrayed Christ, instead of coming and saying, forgive me, Lord, he went out and hanged himself. Joy can break through this kind of sorrow. It can break through if people in this world can see that joy is real in our hearts. When they can see that we have a joy that is powerful and they begin to hunger. William Barclay wrote one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard at all about what should be in the life of the Christian. He said, joy is a winsome magnet that draws people in because it is one thing they do not have. In other words, joy pulls people to us. He said, we are chosen for, for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the traveling and in the goal, the way of joy. There is always a joy in doing the right thing. When we evade some duty or task, when at last we set our hand to it, joy comes to us. Please listen to this. This is the part I love. The Christian is the man of joy. The Christian is the laughing cavalier of Christ. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And nothing in all religious history has done more harm to Christianity than its connection with black clothes and long faces. Some of those dour people I've mentioned... If they were the first believer I had ever met, I would have run from Christ as quickly as I could. I'm so thankful that I had people in my life who knew the joy of the Lord. And the truth is, if we embrace this understanding, the truth is we can shine a light of joy into a world that is marked by pain and sorrow. Folks, that's the reality for us. We can shine a light. In this world of pain, in this world of darkness, in this world of sorrow, we can be the beam that brings hope into somebody's life. We can be the people who can show there's a better way of living. A.W. Tozer, another of my favorite writers, said the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. And that can happen if they see Christians who know joy, they may begin to think maybe, maybe God has done something for them. Maybe what they've been telling me is real. If they see it lived out in our lives, we can be sources of joy. Be honest. Wouldn't you rather enjoy when people leave you? They're sorry to go. Then they're standing listening to you talk and they are looking for any excuse to run. When the joy of the Lord fills our lives, it can spill over and capture the hearts of people who are longing for joy. And then final joy, the final experience of joy that we can, we can acknowledge from this text. We can know the promise of joy in the times of struggle. The promise of joy that comes 
even when things are not going the way we want. Now, I said that this psalm is a little bit different than other laments. It only has one verse that says, Restore us, Lord. Restore us like the streams in the desert. Uh, a translation that gave the title to a, a, a wonderful a wonderful devotional book. You see, in Palestine, and particularly in the Negev, in the south that he's talking about, riverbeds, wadis, are dry most of the year. But there comes a time when it rains, and it doesn't have to rain a lot. When the rain comes, those dry riverbeds flood and water and allow life to exist throughout the year, those momentary rains. Restore us, he prays. He doesn't go into detail about what's happened. Just one phrase, restore us. You see, I believe the psalmist wrote of a joy that would come to those restored by the Lord. Possibly what we're having, if this is a note of the people coming back out of Babylon, maybe what they're dealing with is how hard life had been. They have come back, but there's still wild animals to contend with. There's still people groups that want to see them fail. There's still moments where the recovery is not happening as quickly as they would like. And so they said, you've already restored us. Can you restore us some more? Can you bring us some more people back home? Can you, can you give this even more life? And he's saying that when it happens, joy is going to come. After verse 4, the psalm breaks into what could be a prophetic oracle. The writer is now not talking about us. He's not even talking about me. He just gives this word of a promise. An assurance that the joy of the Lord that they have known is going to come again. What God had done for them in the past, he's going to do. Right now, he says, you're sowing in tears. You're rebuilding and there's still pain and there's still sorrow. But after the weeping, you will experience a reaping, a reaping of joy, a reaping of power, a reaping of truth. The tears are going to be gone because you're going to be filled with shouts of joy. I once read of a man who had been, was, had grown up in a regular, in a pretty rough life. And he is in his adult years and he's gotten saved and God is moving in such a powerful way. He's just beyond himself. And the day he got baptized, when he came up out of the water and, and it, perhaps the Lord had been very careful helping him not use the words he had grown up with. But when he came out of the ba- baptismal waters, he didn't know what to so say. So he comes out shouting, enjoy the only way he knew how to. He comes out of the water, hot dog, hot dog. He didn't know to say amen, hallelujah. But I bet it didn't take long for him to learn it. Joy. Derek Tidner has pointed out in the translation of this text, there's a reason why I have used 
the New American Standard today. Many modern translations leave out a couple of important words. Um, Kenner points out the idea of going forth, going, going about where you will, uh, and the result could be translated, he that surely goes forth reaping will surely come home with sorrows of joy. The New American Standard has tried to capture this by that word, indeed. You're going out uh, sowing in tears, not just you will reap in joy, you will indeed, you will certainly, you will without a shadow of a doubt, reap with joy. A stronger emphasis than just saying, if you sow in tears, you reap in joy. No, you reap indeed. This heart, this hope, this joy. What that means for me and you. Joyful hope is promise. It's promise. Promise that belongs to those who turn to God. Promise to those who turn to God. I believe that joy is part of our inheritance as children of the living God. It's part of our birthright. It's a joy that is built on the hope that is inherent in the truth of the promised Messiah. The one whose birth we celebrate in just another week. The one whose very life we are amazed at as we read stories of his going about and loving people and his love and his grace pulled people into him. The lost who didn't want to have anything to do with the Pharisees or the the scribes came to Jesus in droves wanting to hear everything he had to say. The Messiah whose very life, death and resurrection caused his followers to be able to rejoice. How do you go from a group of people who run away and hide to a people who stand in the very streets of Jerusalem and saying, the man that you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ because Christ, the risen Messiah, is real and alive. D.L. Moody said, happiness is caused by things that happen around me. Circumstances will mar it, but joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the day. Joy flows in the night as well in the day. Joy flows through persecution and, and opposition. It is unceasing fountain of bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about, but we can know. If we trust, if we open our hearts up to who he is and what he wants to be in our lives, we can know that joy. And as children of the living God, in this time of year, when the celebration of Christmas can be marred by Black Friday and traffics and crowds in the mall who who refuse to get out of the way and let you get where you're going, when it can be just overwhelming 
we can know joy because the hope that is ours in Christ will bring joy that is ours indeed. Indeed. See, we can trust in the hope of a joy that will one day replace all sorrows. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that uh, a buddy, having a good buddy, or being a cheery kind of guy is not Christian joy. Christian joy is that which realizes the holiness of God, the depth of sin, and Christ coming from heaven and giving himself unto blood for the ruined man. And that leads to a holy joy and a thanksgiving, a joy unspeakable, full of glory. I'm not going to be unreal with you. This joy does not mean there will never be times of pain in our lives. I would never say that. And those of you who know me 13 and a half years will know that I will not say that. I'm not going to tell you your hope in Christ means there will always be sunshiny days when you want them and a cool breeze when you need it. I would never tell you that trust in Jesus and every bit of sorrow flees from your life because sometimes trusting in Jesus is the avenue that sorrow comes into our lives as those who seek to persecute, who seek to hurt. I'm not going to promise you a life of all giggles, but what I'm telling you is there is a hope that is real a joy that is real, regardless of the circumstance of life. So yes, I can have a difficult moment in my life and still know joy. And one of the things that keeps me focused on the hope in Christ that brings me joy is the promise of what lies ahead. I have plans for the coming week and weeks thereafter. And I don't know if I'll make it through this day. I have no promise that I will. I'm planning on it. And that's why I keep a sharp eye out when I'm on Pass Road. Last Wednesday was December the 6th. And that doesn't mean much to most of you. But that's Rachel's birthday. And for a reason I, I, I have no real insight to, and on January 3rd, it'll be 14 years since I said goodbye to my wife. And I'm not sure what happened about this particular Wednesday, but it hit me hard. And there was a time of sorrow and there was a time of pain and it it visited me several times during the week and into this week. But there was still joy 
And one of the reasons is my hope. In the book of Revelation, and what is one of the most beautiful things that John got to see, at the end of the book, he writes about a vision that has brought hope to people for centuries. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That is our hope that gives us joy. The knowledge that one day the sea will be gone. And I've said before, the the sea to the people of Israel is a place of separation. There'll be no more separation. God will be with us. We will be with him. And all of the pain and all of the sorrow of this world will be gone. That is our joy. A third century man, anticipating death, wrote a letter to a friend. His last words. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians. And I am one of them. Friends, God gives a joy that seems too good to be true. God gives a joy that is a testimony to those who don't yet know that joy in him. And God gives a testimony of joy even in the time of struggle. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. I don't know what different valleys you face. I don't know the struggles you have unless you share them with me. But I know that we have a promise of joy. A joy that comes from the Lord that is our strength to carry us through. Now, you may not know the Lord. You may not have a relationship with God. You may not have any idea of what I've been talking about. But Jesus Christ gave his life so you could know the Father, so you could have hope in him. And he gave all so that his people could have joy.